Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So uh, for those of you that have not been with us uh, recently or long-term, we are in a study in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're several months into it, all the way into chapter 6, and we'll probably continue through the Gospel of Luke for, who knows, the next 5 to 10 years. Um, no, I don't think it'll be that long. But it is a long book, and we are going fairly slowly. Uh, chapter 6 uh, and the surrounding sections are an extended teaching by Jesus typically referred to as uh, in Matthew as the Sermon on the Mount, here in Luke as the Sermon on the Plain, either way. It is a, um, a it's the longest teaching in Scripture by Jesus. He covers uh, a number of different topics, but they all kind of come under the subheading of uh, what, what does it look like to be a disciple? What, 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 it, what is involved in following Jesus? The previous section, he talked about judgment and condemnation and uh, the importance of not doing those things. That that's God's job, that we are not to be judgmental towards others. We are not to condemn others. We let God do that. He shifts gears here this morning uh, a little bit and takes a different approach. And he asks a series of questions. How many of you, has anybody ever used a professional coach before for anything? One person, two of you. Okay, so uh, when, you, when you have a professional coach, I use a coach, uh, that's what they do. They never tell you what to do. They ask you questions. So Jesus is kind of uh, going into a coaching mode here with his listeners and asking them a series of questions. And the questions uh, at the core are really ab- about leadership. What does it look like as a disciple of Jesus to then lead others into relationship with Jesus. So that's sort of the essence of our message and the passage today. If you go to the next slide, our title this morning is Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. And uh, that is a saying that the, uh, the gentleman who founded the Vineyard Movement and was Donna and mine uh, pastor for a number of years, John Wimber, he used to say, Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. And uh, so that's our title this morning. But I wanted to share something with you. I've shared with a few of you, but not all of you. That is also the title. Uh, I have taken a number of, uh, over the last couple of years, John had a bunch of those sayings, tons of them. I tried to remember as many as I could. I even called old friends up and go, hey, tell me, you know, another saying. I collected all those and started to uh, write them down, expand on them a little bit. And I put it together. So go to the next frame. So I wrote a book about it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I was really su- surprised because I didn't know if anything would happen to it or not, but uh, Thomas Nelson Publishing uh, picked it up, and we are currently in the editing process, so that will be released in January. Um, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, so here's the thing. I'll tell you. I was talking to Donna's uncle, who is an author, and 
he told me that the writing the book is easy. The editing is the hard part. I'm like, what? So now I'm in the editing process, and he was correct. It's very, very difficult. Uh, t- tons of work. Your eyes hurt after a while. So, because uh, it's on computer. Anyway, so uh, I just uh, thank you guys. Pray for me in the editing process, and that'll be out in January. And I think probably we'll be able to get you guys a copy if you want one. Will I sign it? I guess. I don't know. If anybody wants me to sign it, you can't read my writing anyway. Um, moving on. Let's look at our uh, text this morning. I want to uh, read the scripture and then, and then pray. So go ahead and go to the next. Oh, you're already there. Uh, this is Luke 6, beginning in verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. (laughs) He's so, uh, so soft there, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, Lord, we uh, pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning as we uh, open your word and pray that you would really just help us to, uh, to grow in understanding and, and not only in understanding your word, but applying it to our lives and making it work uh, with us and in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus does a great job always of uh, giving word pictures. And this is probably, to me, one of the best word pictures he, he uses in all of his teaching, all his parables, because it's, it's uh, so clear and poignant, but it's kind of funny at the same time, in a sense. Because if you picture somebody with a big board, a big two, I was going to bring a chunk of two by four this morning and hold it in front of my eye for for an object lesson, but I, I forgot to. But if you picture that, it's it's kind of humorous, and you realize that you can't really help somebody uh, if that's your situation. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you have ever had got something in your eye. Uh, I have a couple times working out in the yard or whatever. I, I got a, a you know a little speck of sawdust or dirt or something in my eye. And, you know, it's terrible. And you can't get it out. You need help, right? So I asked Donna to, to get the speck out of my eye. And, and she'll take a tissue and wind it down to a little tiny point and then get the end, you know, a little bit wet, right? You, you, Camille, you've done that before, right? You know what that's like. And then, and then she gets like a number seven reading glasses on, so it's magnified 50,000 times, and, you know, gets down there to touch that little speck and get it out. It's, my point is that it's a very delicate operation. Um, and it would not be easy to do that kind of a delicate operation if you had this big board in your eye. I, I want to, this morning, as I was just before driving in, praying and thinking about today's message, the Lord show me something about that part. And that is that Jesus is, of course, speaking, you know, metaphorically here. He's not talking about a real speck or a real plank. He's talking about spiritual things in our lives. But it is a delicate operation to remove a speck from somebody's eye. Sometimes we have a tendency to come in a little hot when, when somebody is maybe not, 
you know, doesn't have things all together in their own life, and, and we kind of come in with a two-by-four and whack them in the head. Uh, but really, it's a delicate operation. It's very similar to that getting that speck on, and we need to be gentle and delicate and gracious with one another when we are doing those things. Again, the context here is, in, in the course of the sermon, Jesus talked about loving your enemies, not retaliating against them, not judging others, being merciful, and living a generous life. So I think the, the flow of the message is that if you have something in your eye, if your spiritual vision is impaired, you will be unable to do those other things. There, there's a connection. We can't really walk in the fullness of life in Christ and in the life of the kingdom if we don't take some time and do a little bit of self-reflection first. Those things are, are part of the process of discipleship that we all go through. I would put it this way. I, w- I would say that a prerequisite for leadership in the kingdom of God is self-reflection. Before we can be effective at sharing the gospel with other people, we need to take a little bit of time and look into our own lives. And further, that it's all part of the same process. We are interconnected in the body of Christ, but uh, we have some responsibility on our own behalf as well as being interconnected with others. So when we do that, it has impact. When, When I reflect on my own life, it has impact not only on me, but on you. If we're, there's a few things, I, I, there are probably more, I identified a few that I think can blind us spiritually. Certainly the first one in most of our minds would be sin. When we have sin in our life, we are spiritually blinded. We can't see correctly. Another one though is insecurities. When we're insecure in our own life and not sure of who we are in Christ, we can function out of that insecurity and also be ineffective in our exchanges with others. And then the third thing that I identified is when, when we are looking for our identity in other things, it prevents us from walking in kingdom living. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. I want to just reflect on leadership for a minute, though. In the kingdom of God, we're all called to be leaders, every single one of us. Jesus talks about being salt and light. And when he talks about being salt and light, he's, he's speaking to every believer. Salt and light mean being influential. We influence others for the kingdom of God, and leadership is influence. That's what it is. And so, really, even though he's talking about leadership here, he's speaking to everyone. We all have a responsibility to lead. Um, we said last week that when we ignore concerns we might have about a brother or sister, that that's not caring. That's not what we're called to be. That's not good. We want to be able to reach out and help our brothers and sisters along the way. But to do that effectively in the beginning of that process is first to look at my life and make sure that I'm prepared and ready to lead that other person. So in, in regard to leadership, we're, we're all called to lead. Uh, however, I would say this, and, and, and here's, some of us will have greater influence than others. Okay, Some of us will have a, a, a larger leadership role than others, and there's a few factors that make that up. One is the sovereign call of God. God just 
And I don't understand this. I, I look at it in scripture. I look at it in history. I look at it in the lives of people I know. And sometimes I scratch my head. Why in the earth would God call that guy? But he does. He does. So there's a sovereign call of God that God just says, I want you to do this for me. And that's it. Another component of leadership is our own giftedness. And I think that too comes from God to some degree. But to some degree, it might be natural ability as well, kind of combined. But some are gifted to lead tens or hundreds or thousands. You know what I mean? And that is how how broad, how wide is your ability? What's your giftedness? But there's a third component that really rests on our side of the equation, and that is our willingness to say yes. I believe there are people that have been called to lead in the kingdom of God who have significant giftedness, significant capacity, an ability to lead in a, in a profound way, but who have just said, you know what, I don't want to do it. I'm out. And so, you know, you combine the sovereign call of God, giftedness in a person's life, and their willingness to respond to God, and you have then kind of a continuum of how far down that continuum of leadership they go. But my point here is this, that uh, the further you go, the more you lead, the greater your capacity, the more important this becomes. I think we've all seen examples, whether in our own lives or in the news or whatever else, of leaders who moved pretty far along that line, maybe didn't do that self-reflection first and ended up crashing. And the end result is it not only impacts their life, but it impacts the lives of everybody else that was behind them. Ultimately, and here's the point, we reproduce in others what we are in ourselves. I was thinking about John this week as I was preparing, and I remember a story he told about John was a church growth consultant for Fuller Seminary. He worked with pastors and helped them to identify issues in their church and, and to, to you know grow. And he shared a story about being at one of those meetings with a group of pastors and this guy in the front would interrupt him as he was speaking and he would yell out, help me make my church grow. And so John just ignored him. And then a few minutes later, he did it again. Help me make my church grow. And again, John ignored him. And a third time, the guy yelled out, he goes, help me make my church grow. So this time John stopped And he looked at the guy and he said, how many more like you do you want? End of conversation. We will reproduce in our own lives. We will reproduce in the lives of others what we are in our own life. So that little phrase, never trust a leader without a limp, really identifies this reality that we are, we are all called to lead in the body of Christ. We are all people and we all have flaws. Everyone has things in their life that keep us or that uh, cause us to maybe limp a little bit. And that's okay. From time to time, you might encounter a leader who gives off the appearance of having it all together. They're bright and shiny, and there's, there's no, you know, nothing wrong here. 
And the reality is this, that that person is probably not being very honest. And the tragedy is they may not even be being very honest with themselves. They, they might be believing that they have it all together. The example that John set was so powerful in so many different ways because that wasn't him. Uh, the, the truth was, John pastored a very large church. It was hovering around 5,000 people at the peak. He was also an international conference speaker, really was instrumental in sort of revolutionizing the modern worship movement that we see everywhere today. And he launched a movement of churches that extended in his lifetime to 40 or 45 countries and today is now continuing in almost 70 countries. And so all that said he would describe himself as a fat man on his way to heaven. People would say, how do you do this? How does this happen? How did you get there? He goes, I don't know. I'm just a fat man on my way to heaven. He's a very down-to-earth guy. He's very honest and very vulnerable. The connection with this passage and the previous passage in the, in the text is that a, a, a leader who isn't willing to look at their own life and do some self-reflection, he has a plank in their eye, are, is very likely the same person that will be critical and will be judgmental and will lead harshly. And if you've ever been, I, I, I've had the misfortune, I suppose, of praying with people who have been the recipients of what the, you know, would be classified as spiritual abuse in their life. They've been under a critical or a judgmental or a very harsh leader uh, and been wounded by that. And the, the, the reality is that happens because that leader has been ineffective in their own ability to just really be vulnerable and honest in their own life. Um, and in that regard, I think a person like that is very much, uh, and somebody we are talking about this morning and said, you know, it's like a Pharisee, and it, that's true. The Pharisees in the New Testament are kind of the picture we have of that uh, critical, judgmental, sort of harsh attitude towards others. And, you know, I was thinking about that and realizing Jesus in his exchanges with people, it's really, if you, if you look at, if you read all of his different exchanges with people, the only time he was ever harsh was with the Pharisees. He tended to confront them fairly directly. Uh, it was not unkind per se, but he was very blunt and honest with them. I find that in every other exchange, with every other person, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus is not only very kind and compassionate, but very loving and tender. He doesn't have unkind words for those whose lives might be really messed up. The only unkind words he ever has are for those that think they have it all together. So, so practically speaking, when we bring this down to you and me today, what does it look like? How can we be effective at leading and influencing other people positively for the kingdom of God without, you know, bumping into things and causing damage because of this plank in our eye. If you go to the next slide, Amy, a couple ideas. One is that we get our life from Christ alone. It's, it's pretty easy to focus on yourself and to overlook our own flaws when we extract life from other things. If, if I get life because of how rich I am, how powerful I am, how smart I am, 
you know, how hot I am, uh, how spiritual I am, which that's a big one sometimes. Then I, I will have a tendency to not look at what I need to look at in my own life. We, we want to, as far as of Jesus, get our life and extract meaning and purpose from my relationship with Jesus, period. And that is not to say that any of those other things is wrong in and of themselves. Intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with being rich, powerful, smart, hot, or spiritual. It's okay. But that's not life. That's not where our life comes from. And if your identity, your meaning, your purpose is wrapped up in that, chances are you're, you're headed for a fall. Um, because, and here's why. Here, here's why. Because you can be any one of those things today and not be them tomorrow. You know, our, we have a short memory. But 10 years ago, there were a lot of wealthy people in this country one day, and they were not wealthy the next. You can be powerful one day and not be powerful the next. You can be hot one day, and sometimes it takes more than a day, but you end up not hot. You can take any of that away. It can fade, it can fail, it can fall. But if my identity is that I am a child of God, beloved by him, the reality is that that doesn't ever go away. That will never change. And furthermore, nothing can ever take that away. Nobody can take that from you. You can be a bazillionaire one day and the stock market can crash and you can lose everything the next day and you still are the same beloved child of God. He doesn't love you any more or less because of how much money you have or don't have. None of that changes. And as leaders in the kingdom of God, That should be the core message we extend to anybody and everybody we have to be able to influence. As we exercise influence, leadership in the lives of others, as we are salt and light, that's what we need to tell them. Hey, you know what? Jesus loves you and nobody can take that away and nobody can change that and that'll never stop and nothing you can do will make him love you any more or less than he does right this very minute. Number two, go to the next slide, be real. I believe authenticity is one of the greatest gifts we can give to others. Authenticity is one of the greatest gifts we can give to other people, just to be real, to be who you are. When I think about John Wimber, it's interesting because, you know, for most people, they didn't know John. They heard him at conferences and stuff. So he was like this, you know, this big guy, this dude, John. For us, he was a regular guy. He was very normal, very down to earth. I I had this vision this morning. So, so we would go on ministry trips with him. You know, he'd take us to wherever. And after one of those trips, we came back. And a couple weeks later, he had a little uh, sort of a debrief reunion party kind of thing at his house. And John had a swimming pool. And he invited everybody over to swim. We barbecued. It was really fun. And at the end, we're sitting around the pool. <laughs> and he's, he's got his swim trunks on. And he's got a box of fudge sickles. <laughs> and he's just walking around. He goes, hey, man, you want a fudge sickle? <laughs> hey, you want a fudge sickle? I just think, what a, I mean, it was just such a normal thing. You know, he's just walking around, big old belly, hanging out, handing out fudge sickles. And it was just so real, you know. He was a real guy. He liked to hang out. He liked to tell jokes. He was very vulnerable. That's another thing about John is he was willing to let other people pray for him. And sometimes we see leaders who don't do that. 
They're not willing to ever receive ministry, at least not in public. John would allow other people to pray for him all the time. Uh, the latter part of his life, the last 10 years of his life, John had numerous health issues. He had cancer, he had a heart attack, and then he had a stroke. And he returned, to, came back from every recovery from each one of those events and came back into ministry. And here's the thing that I love is that he never used any of those to over-spiritualize anything. He never came back and said, oh, glory be to God, I'm resurrected. You know, he would come back and talk about the tenderness of the goodness of God in the midst of trials. That was his message. One of the most profound, I will never, I heard John speak 2,000 times, and I'll never forget after his cancer treatment, he had chemotherapy. It was the first time in his life, that we, at least in, that we had known him, was a skinny John. He'd always been a big guy. And, he, and during chemo, he lost about 100 pounds. So he was skinny John. And it was kind of funny because he would wear Levi's and cowboy boots and tuck his shirt in. He was all, you know, trying to be skinny. But he, he could hardly talk because he had cancer in his throat. So it messed up his voice. But I remember him sitting, he would preach from a stool because he was weak, and he's sitting on this stool, and he goes, you know, people, sometimes we love the mountaintop experience, and we want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. But I want you to know, I've been in the valley, and the view from the valley ain't that bad. And I just thought, man, that's the heart of God. It doesn't matter if you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. God is with you. God is with you. And it was so vulnerable. Here's the thing today. Leaders all limp. And that's okay. And that has to be okay. Because if it's not okay, we will never grow. If we are not willing to acknowledge where we are today, we will never get to where God wants us to be. So it's okay to limp. Third point, stay humble. I want to tell you, we talked about that continuum of leadership. I think one of the hardest things, and I think this is a, a direct, um, I don't know how to put this without being over-spiritual, but I think it's a direct attack of the enemy. I think the enemy would like to steal humility from our lives and cause us, as we grow in leadership, to become more and more prideful. When you grow in leadership you easily begin to take that on as an identity. You're no longer just a child of God. You're now, I am this person or that person. And it becomes really easy to talk about my ministry, my church, my, my group, my whatever, my, 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 my. Um, and I would say this, the humility is phase two of authenticity. We want to be real and then we want to be able to stay humble. Um, go to the next slide. Paul says this in Timothy here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So here, here's the thing. He's introducing what he's about to say pretty powerfully. This is a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. So I, as I read that this week, I thought, okay, the apostle Paul says, I am the worst. So, where does that leave me? <laughs> if Paul's the worst, where am I? Uh, I'm worse than the worst. 
Um, here, though, is the beauty and the paradox of the kingdom of God. Go to the next slide. Can you go? There is. Oh, or not. That's okay. The next slide says, also from Paul in the book of Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so I wonder, how do we reconcile those two things? The same guy says, I am the worst of sinners who Jesus came to save and follow my lead as I follow his lead. So either he's crazy or he's not. I think he understands profoundly the kingdom of God and how it works. That yet, though I am the worst of sinners, I'm saved by Christ Jesus, and that's the example I want you to follow. I'm honest and sincere and humble in who I am outside of Christ and who I am inside of Christ, and I want you to follow that and do the same thing. I am the worst of sinners, but the grace of God has made me right with him. And I want to invite others into that process. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.